All right, uh, before we jump into the Word, first you can turn to Galatians chapter 3 and just get ready. But before we jump into the Word today, uh, we have a guest who's just going to come and say hi for a few minutes. Uh, his name's Ryan. He's been here before, Ryan Yancey. And uh, sometime in the last year or two, I forget when exactly, Ryan came and just said hi on a Sunday morning. And Ryan uh, is our interim executive director for our denomination, for our conference right now. And so we are part of a broader family of churches called the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren churches. Uh, It's a wonderful family to be a part of. Uh, I love and value them very much. And so uh, we are part of the Ontario Conference as well. So uh, when Ed Wilms stepped down last year, Ryan temporarily has stepped into the interim executive director role. So he's overseeing our churches in Ontario right now, which is a massive job. Uh, And Ryan is wonderful at it and is just uh, just so enjoyed getting to know Ryan over the last few years. Uh, And so would you please welcome Ryan as he comes and says hi from the conference. Thank you very much, Chris, for that uh, rather kind introduction. Yeah, it's really great to be here with you all. Uh, As a part of my role, I interact quite often with our leaders, with our various pastors. And then there's something really special for me when I can just be in the room with the people and kind of get a feel for for who they are and how they worship together. So I'm glad to be here. As Chris mentioned, I was here the start of March of last year, but I I ducked out to be with uh, South Point for the rest of their worship gathering. So it was only 15 minutes. So this morning I get the full... The full deal. Thank you for the invitation. As Chris mentioned, I'm the interim executive director for ONMB. We're in a significant time of transition. Um, it's it's uh, it feels like a good time though. It feels like a God is stirring some really good things, drawing us together in terms of our mission focus. And I'm quite excited to see uh, who will be hired next to lead our churches to partner in mission. I work alongside. Oh, yeah, this happens every time. I forget to. There we go. Ontario Conference of Men and Brethren Churches, multiplying disciples of Jesus together. Uh, so I work alongside Christy Lee. She's our executive assistant. She keeps everything in line and in order. And we lead our churches to glorify God by multiplying disciples of Jesus uh, through our member churches by facilitating collaboration, providing accountability, and encouraging blessing. That might sound a little bit boring, but actually, like, I love the facilitating collaboration uh, piece. And I'll touch on that uh, in the next couple of, of minutes. So as, as Chris mentioned, we're a part of a broader, broader body. So there's 28 churches scattered across Ontario from Ottawa, you might feel kind of alone and isolated down here in Leamington. Uh, the churches in Ottawa feel the same way. If you can see on the West Coast, uh, Lake Huron there, I used to pastor at uh, Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church, so we felt not quite as isolated, but a little bit isolated. So I, I get it at least a little bit. Um, and then 230 churches across Canada. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a real blessing over the last couple, year and a half or so, to get to know the leaders here at Meadowbrook. Um, I'm a big fan of Chris Walker, so a little note, don't, please don't tell this to our other pastors across ONMB, but uh, our executive assistant, Christy, <clears throat> excuse me, she loves our churches, so she's often watching them online, and she believes, she's told me this a number of times, that Chris is the best preacher across ONMB. <laughs> No word of a lie, she listens in often, and, and I've, as I've gotten to know Chris, really appreciated his, uh, his teaching as well. We've gotten to know Renee this year. She took part with Leaders Collective and just loves seeing her heart to uh, introduce young people to Jesus, to dif- disciple them in the ways of the kingdom. And then getting to know Susan a little bit in the last year, too, and her heart for soul care. She shared at our ONMB uh, convention in February about the significant ministry, the spiritual healing that people have found through soul care here. So really thankful for that, uh, that leadership. The other piece I wanted to highlight, and, and this is where I get excited about in my role, I get to facilitate 
collaboration, partnering with other believers and churches across Ontario. This collaboration I had nothing to do with, but I'm excited to, to, to hear it, is how you as a church are growing into partnership with Billy Joe Isaac. I'm a part of an online uh, prayer group. You might know her as B with Wilf. Are Wilf and Ovina here this morning? Oh, sorry, I called them out on a morning. They're, they're skipping. Uh, <laughs> Wilf, Wilf and Ovina are part of a, a, um, an online prayer group where B, who's First Nations uh, lady, she's credentialed with us. And uh, yeah, moves to your point, And she is doing discipleship there, sharing the gospel. And I know that you here at Meadowbrook have been a real support in a number of ways. And that just gets me really excited. I've actually heard B and Derek Parento, who uh, kind of has discipled her. They have kind of been ranting and raving about how blessed they are about the support of Meadowbrook. They've actually said it's kind of unreal. They're, they're, they're actually honestly blown away by what a blessing that has been. So yeah, thank you so much, actually, even though you're at a bit of a distance from our other churches. Thank you for how you are investing in our different ministry initiatives and, uh, and our churches. So I invite you, if you would like to connect in any way, if you ever got some information for us, info at onmb.org. We've got uh, at ONMB events on Instagram, Facebook. You can follow me specifically. I post a little bit more as I'm out and about. Before I leave, if you cross paths, remind me to take just a photo here because I often just forget. Uh, but yeah, you can track along Ryan underscore ONMB. And then we also have a podcast highlighting stories, what God is up to across our churches, whatever uh, platform you use. And uh, actually, one of my first ones with, with Chris, he shared his journey into anabaptism. So if you hear Chris talking about anabaptism, you're like, what? what is this all about? What is this within the church of Jesus? What is this particular way? Um, that's just a great introduction, so really appreciate having Chris's voice there. Now we're working through a series called The Church Called Tove. How many of you know that sometimes we can have kind of toxic, controlling, abusive cultures within churches? That's not a surprise, and it's, it's really sad. And so we're having this big conversation about how do we foster cultures of goodness. Tove is a Hebrew word for good goodness, the peace, shalom of Jesus. And so we're having, uh, for each chapter, we're kind of discussing that. And, and so if you want to listen in, I would invite you to do so, so we can learn and grow in the ways of Jesus together. So that's Jesus' stories. Um, yeah, so... As mentioned, thank you so much for having uh, me here. Please know that you're in my prayers. Please know that we've got a, a listening ear. We want to know how we can support you uh, as a church along the way. We want to know how we can resource you for mission. Uh, I invite your prayers for us in this time of transition as we look for an executive director. And uh, if, I, if I may, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning as well. God, thank you so much for the people of Meadowbrook Church here. Thank you for your activity in this place, the many people over the decades who've met you, Jesus, in this community. Thank you for their witness to the gospel in Leamington and area. And so, God, I pray today for the fullness of your blessing, the fullness of your spirit present with these people. May, may they have open hearts to the fullness of who you are and what you want to do among them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would draw them together in unity around the gospel. Thank you that even across the kilometers that we have these relationships as co-laborers with you. May this be, uh, continue to be a place of great joy and great hope. Thank you for your blessings. Uh, bless Meadowbrook, God, I pray. Amen. Yeah, so please uh, feel free to introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you and, and, uh, and hear, your, hear your story uh, following the service. Thanks for having me today. Thanks, Ryan. 
Yeah, and please be praying for the conference. Uh, as Ryan said, it, it is kind of a moment of transition and, and figuring out who the next leader is going to be permanently and, and where are we going. And it's all good stuff. It's all exciting stuff. And, and we just really need to hear from God on it as a group so you can be praying. And um, it is cool. Um, we just actually just had B here uh, a few weeks ago. She and Derek were here. And so, um, yeah, even from a distance, we are connected to what God is doing in, in different places. And that's such an exciting thing. So, um, all right, let's hear from the best teacher in Ontario now as we jump in. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, Galatians 3. We're in Galatians 3. So, here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, uh, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, if you're newer and, and just getting to know him, if you're here and you're not even sure about him, you're maybe just checking things out, wherever you're at, we want to help you take your next steps. We're here as a church to assist you in your own journey with Jesus. And we focus on that primarily in three ways, upward, inward, and outward. We want to be taking our next steps upwardly in our connection with him, our knowledge of him, our communion with him. We want to be taking our next steps inwardly as he does his work inside us to change us and transform us. And we want to be taking our next steps outwardly as we live out our faith, as we connect with other people inside the church, as we take the gospel outside the church. And so we're always using that language here. Okay, so what's next? What are our next steps? Where do we go from here? So we have been in a series for the last few weeks that we have called the Freedom Gospel. It's going to take us up until summer. And we're just walking through the book of Galatians. In the New Testament, we're walking through it a chunk at a time. Time and, and digging through it and taking some time to celebrate this gospel. The word gospel means what? Good news. It just simply means good news. And we have wanted and we are praying through as we have put this series together, just refreshing ourselves in how good the good news really is. Sometimes, you know, like if you have a long-time friendship or a long-time relationship, you can kind of take for granted the other person. You sort of can forget maybe how special they are or how special the relationship is. It certainly can happen in marriages. We're wanting to just refresh ourselves and remind ourselves because if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know the story, you know what the news is, and you know that it is good. And yet we can sometimes just kind of get dull a little bit to how good the good news really is. And so we just want to refresh ourselves in this series, remind ourselves of how good that good news really is. That in a nutshell, that the Bible says that all of us like sheep have gone astray from God. We have all turned away from him. We have all wandered on our own path and we call that sin. We have all moved away from God. We have all fallen short, but God in his love and care for us was not willing to leave us there wandering around in the countryside and in the darkness by ourselves. And so Jesus comes running after us. Jesus comes to earth. He lives a life showing us who God is, pointing us towards the Father. And then ultimately, he goes to the cross. And all of that sin that we had committed, he deals with on the cross for us. And where we were caught up and lost in sin and ultimately lost in death and everything that goes around and, and is wrapped up in those things, Jesus solves our sin on the cross. He solves the problem of our death in the resurrection. And he invites us back where we had wandered far away. God invites us back into his family. He says, come back and take your place again. Just like the prodigal son. You didn't walk away from me entirely. You're coming back in. Sit at the table. Take your spot. Be with me again. God has brought us back to himself in Jesus, and he's the one who did it. And so he welcomes us back into his family. Part of what's going on in the book of Galatians, as we've been seeing, is that we are learning, oh, it's actually a blended family that we are joining. 
And so when my kids were in kindergarten and, and going through school, uh, one of the early units they talked about was uh, family. And they talked about just the different kinds of family, because not every kid coming to school comes from the same family. And so they talked about, you know, sometimes families have two parents, and sometimes families have one parent, and some kids are adopted. And, and as they're teaching about it at school, uh, they're talking about it just in the sense of, hey, no bullying, right? Everyone's in different situations. And so it was a good message. Um, and as they're talking about these different kinds of families, sometimes people have uh, sisters, and and sometimes they have stepsisters, and sometimes they have half-sisters, and so there's different situations. The family of God is 100% a blended family. And so what's happening in the book of Galatians is that there are uh, Jewish people who have come to know Jesus. Jewish people are the chosen people of God. Scripture uses the language of, it's like they're his natural-born children. They are his, his first family. They are the, the people that he chose. And now as Gentiles, who are non-Jewish, are starting to come into Jesus, they are joining the family, and it's like adoption. It's like people who aren't part of the natural family, but God is adopting them into the family, and he's treating them like kids, just like good adoptive parents do. But there's a bit of tension going on in the book of Galatians between the natural-born children of God and the adopted children of God. There's a little bit of tension that's trying to be worked out. And so the Apostle Paul is, is trying to talk to this new family where Jews and Gentiles have never really hung out together before in human history. And now in Jesus, they are hanging out together, and they're trying to join a church together, and they're trying to create something new together. And Paul is trying to teach them that there's a oneness in in Jesus that makes us one true family. We are one family in Christ, and that goes beyond race, that goes beyond gender, that goes beyond class, that goes beyond anything. And so that's part of what Paul is speaking to in the chunk of scripture we're going to read today. So let's look at our text. We're in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is a rich book. It's a dense book, and so we're, we're just kind of doing a chunk at a time. So are you ready for a nice good chunk of scripture this morning? Galatians 3, and we're going to start in verse 15, picking up where we left off last week. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the entire estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So, lots of rich stuff in there. A lot of kind of dense language, a lot of ideas. And we're going to try and unpack those. And I'm always, as a teacher, just trying to make it as easy to understand as possible. Uh, So as we jump into this, there's a lot of talk about the law. And so just as a refresher on the law, the law is something Jesus would mention. It's something the apostles mentioned in the New Testament a lot. The prophets of the old would mention it as well. It's talking about the commandments that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So Moses went up the mountain and God met Moses there, speaks to him there and says, Moses, here is my standard that I want you to bring to my people. It was carved in stone. Moses came down with the tablets and it has been counted. I've never actually counted it, but it has been counted. There are apparently 613 different laws and rules and commands and statutes that make up the law, God's law, God's standard, God's list of rules. And it was given to Israel, and they said, and it was as it was given, it was Israel, you live by these. This is how you are to live your life. And so what's happening in the book of Galatians, we've talked about this each week so far, is that as people start coming to Jesus, and especially as Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are coming to Jesus, the question becomes, well, what do we do with this law? Because the Jewish people have been following the law for millennia at this point, and they've understood God through the law, and they have tried to follow the law, and they have tried to live out obedience to him under the law. So now Gentiles, who've never heard of this law, are starting to come to Jesus, and the early church wrestles with, well, do the Gentiles need to follow the law? Do they need to try and hit these 613 things, or do they need to relate to God? So we talked about this in previous weeks. That's really what the book of Galatians is trying to wrestle through. What do we do with these Gentiles? And and how are they going to join this family of Jewish people who have always related to God through this law? And so what are we going to do with all of that? There's a list of rules, and the question is, what do we do with that list now that people are coming to Jesus? Paul is very, very concerned that people are adding anything to the good news. And so where the good news is that not that we earn our way into heaven, but that Jesus died for us, Jesus rose for us, and Jesus saves us, and it comes to us as a gift, there are people in the Galatian church who are saying, well, it comes as a gift, but you also have to follow all these rules. You also have to live by this law. If you don't live by this law, you're not saved. So Paul is very concerned that anyone would add anything to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so we've seen some quite strong, fiery language from Paul already in this book. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? You have received the good news by faith, and now you're going back and you're trying to earn God's blessing. You're trying to earn his favor. You're trying to earn his salvation through the obedience to that list of rules. You're moving backwards, church, he says. The gospel comes to you as a free gift. You don't add anything to it. If you could add something to it, it would be saying the cross and resurrection are not enough. What Jesus did was not enough. And we would say, and Paul would say that that's actually blasphemy. And that's not a word I use very often. But it is to add anything to what Jesus did. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. There's a beautiful simplicity to that. And that doesn't mean we don't obey. Uh, We're going to get into that more as we head into Galatians 5 and 6 a little later. It doesn't mean that our, our lives aren't important, our obedience isn't important. But in terms of our standing with God, in terms of being invited into the family, in terms of grabbing hold of eternal life, it's all just Jesus who does that for us. That's just Jesus. And so we want to make that very clear always as we're going through this. So let's take a look at our text. We're not going to hit every single verse in great detail, but starting at verse 15, 16. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Paul's good at that. I'm going to use a a common metaphor that helps you understand what I'm talking about. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case, the case of the gospel. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, which is Christ. And so Paul uses an example that anyone, including us, can understand. He says it's kind of like a covenant or a contract. And so you might be in a marriage covenant. We don't use the word covenant, you know, when you're dealing with TD Bank, but you're in a covenant with the bank for the mortgage on your house. Uh, so there are covenants and contracts that we're all a part of in different ways. And so he says, just like when you sign a contract, you can't just undo it if you feel like it, right? Um, you know, some of us have signed contracts with the bank, and then as we've watched, you know, mortgage rates go up, we're going, okay. And then as you try to sign a new contract, you got to negotiate that. But if you don't like the terms of your contract, you don't get to just say, well, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing that anymore. You're going to lose your house in that moment. And so you sign a contract, you have to stick with it. And, and, you know, these contracts are obviously gone over on their end by lawyers, and they're very, very intense. I was, in the last year, went to just get a, a little GIC set up for our kids' education fund, and I signed paperwork, I swear, like I was adopting a child. Like, it was just page after page after page. I'm going, I'm not actually reading any of this. I'm just trusting you guys that this is all right. And it was the smallest amount of money, but, man, like, they they make it ironclad, right? Like they, on their end, they're doing everything they can uh, to, to make sure it's good and set. And so Paul says, hey, you, you sign contracts in your life. You don't ignore the contract just because you want to change things or just because you don't like it anymore. Once a contract is set, it is set until the contract is dissolved. And so as it comes to the gospel, he ties this into Abraham, that God made a, a contract, a covenant with Abraham. 
And he said to Abraham, your offspring are going to be like the, the stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count them. It's going to be like the sand on the seashore. Through you, through your bloodline, all peoples in the world are going to be blessed by God. Through your bloodline, all peoples in the world will come back to God. Through your bloodline, through your people, through what is going to come from you, there will just be a, a numerous blessing like you can't even imagine. God gave that to Abraham as a promise. It was a covenant that was made. And part of that covenant is that then one will come, your seed will come, which is Christ, and Jesus is going to be the one through whom all of this is going to happen. So a contract gets made between God and Abraham, a covenant, a promise is made. And so we're part of the Galatian church is going through some kind of some racial tension, really. There's Jews and there's Gentiles, uh, and they're trying to learn to get along for the first time in human history, and they're trying to be a new uh, singular family, even though they've really not really engaged with each other at all throughout all of human history, and all this tension and things are going on. Paul brings it all the way back to Abraham and says, the promise was made millennia ago that God was going to create one family for all humanity, that it wasn't just going to be about the Jewish people. It was going to be for everybody. That's the covenant that was established. And even though the family was going to be blended, uh, it was going to be a new family. It was going to be one family. Moving on to verse 17, Paul says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later after Abraham does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance, if the blessing, if the gospel depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. And so the word promise shows up eight times in this section of scripture. Promise, 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 promise. You don't earn this. It's a promise that God made, that he was going to bring all people to himself. It's not something you accomplish by following the rules really well. It came as a promise. God promised Abraham, and we serve a God who always keeps his promises. The goodness and faithfulness of God show up, not because we earn it by obeying the rules really well, but because he promised Abraham and he always keeps his promise. The promise was that all people of the world would be blessed through Jesus. That was the promise. The law came later. And so the promise comes to Abraham, 430 years later, the law comes. And so for those who are saying, in order to inherit the blessings of this promise, you got to follow the law really well, Paul is saying, no, the promise came first. And it was there for generations before the law came along. And the law doesn't undo the promise or add to the promise. The promise was beautifully simple. The promise was God says, I'm going to do this. Abraham, through your offspring, eventually in Jesus, I will bring the whole world to myself. That's a promise. The law came much later, and the law is not a, an addition to the promise, is what Paul is saying. The promise itself was so beautiful. So for those in the Galatian church who are arguing, well, now that you come to Jesus, you got to go follow the law really well, and you got to earn your place with God, and you have to contribute something to your own salvation, Paul's saying, no, 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 we're going back further than that. He says, this all started with Abraham. The law doesn't undo what God said to Abraham. A covenant was made, and the law does not undo or add to that particular covenant. So why, then, was the law given at all? Wonderful question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 19. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. 
The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. And so the law is always and was always intended to just be a temporary moment in God's story. The promise came to Abraham. The gospel was where it was going to end. The law was kind of a temporary middle period, but it was never meant to be the main thing. It was always meant to be completely fulfilled and swallowed up in the gospel as Jesus came. So Paul says the law was given because of sin. And because of sin, we needed some boundaries. We needed some fences. We needed some ways in which we could curb behavior and and show the world this is what God's standard is. If there's no law, then there's no standard and people just go wild and live however they want, and awful things happen. We've seen that in human history, in places where there's anarchy, often in war zones. uh, Evil shows up very quickly and very intensely and very perversely. So as humans, we need some boundaries. And so the law comes because of sin to ultimately show us what sin is and what holiness is. It is there to put some boundaries around us, to reveal what God's behavior that he's looking for is. Uh, And what's more, it makes very clear, Paul says that the law, was holy like the law was not a problem the law was holy it was given through angels this was a revelation from god moses went up and met with god face to face and god gives him the law and then moses is the mediator moses stands between god and the people of god and says this is god's law and he's calling us to live this way and he would pray for god's grace to be upon the people moses would mediate in that place but paul says a mediator suggests that there's two different parties so there's a human side of this and there's a god side of this but he says God is one. And so the problem with Moses being the mediator is Moses isn't God. And as a human mediator who is sinful himself, he can never fully make it right between God's people and God. But when Jesus comes, Jesus is one with God. Jesus can come and be that mediator who can do that perfectly. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he perfectly, once and for all and forever, deals with our sin problem. He perfectly releases the blessings of God into God's people. He perfectly makes that relationship right once and forever. So is the law, therefore, verse 21, opposed to the promises of God? Right? If there's a law that's a little different than the promise made to Abraham, is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not, Paul says. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. God absolutely could have worked that way. If he wanted us to relate to him primarily through following the list of rules really well, and if you follow the list of rules well enough, if that earned you a place in heaven, then he could have certainly done that and we would have all just done that and that would have been how we lived our life. Most religions and philosophies of the world function that way to some degree. You are earning your way. You are are doing enough good and hopefully you're doing enough good to earn your place, to earn your place into heaven or nirvana or whatever the case may be. You earn it through your actions. The gospel is very unique in that sense where we say it's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done for us. If there was a way to get to heaven by following the rules really well, then God would have just left that in place. And that would be how we live out our lives. As we saw in our verses last week, if that were the case, though, then Christ died for nothing. He never would have had to come. There would have been no reason for Jesus. It could have just been God gave the law to Moses, and we just lived under Moses' rule, and that would just be how humanity related to God. That is an exhausting way to think about living. 
It is exhausting. It is physically exhausting, spiritually exhausting, emotionally exhausting, mentally exhausting to think about constantly trying to make it right with God myself and never knowing if I'm doing enough, never knowing how it's going to go, just kind of working really hard, doing my best, and as I die, go, all right, here we go. I hope it was enough. And as we talked about last week, even if you do a lot of good things, it still doesn't solve the problem of our sin because that's not how law works. If I follow Canadian law perfectly my whole life and then I rob a bank tomorrow, I don't get to say, well, what about all the good things I did? I did a lot of good works by Canadian law. It doesn't solve the problem of your sin. Jesus solves the problem of our sin as he goes to the cross for us. Moving on to verse 22, scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law uh, locks us up. It's interesting language, under the power of sin, that we're, we're kind of bound up in it. And not that God is binding us up in it, but because the law comes and says, this is what sin is, we now have a way to measure our lives and go, oh, I've broken a bunch of these things. I am, I am stuck in these things. And in that sense, I am locked up in sin because not because the law does it in the, or the law is bad, but the law exposes the sin in my life. It shows us what God's standard is. Paul would say this in Romans 5, or sorry, Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So no one gets to heaven, no one's declared good, no one's declared righteous by following the rules really well. The rules come so that we become aware of our sin, so that ultimately we realize that we can't save ourselves, ultimately we realize we need saving. And we need saving from a savior. And Jesus then comes and does that for us. So the law is a temporary stage in God's story, not to save anybody, but to reveal to us that we need saving. Moving on, verse 22. Before the coming of this faith, before Jesus came, before the gospel came, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith, not by our good works. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So before the gospel, we were temporarily, God's people were temporarily under the the control of the law. The law was there, and we were accountable to it, and then God's people were called to live by it. The word guardian there is uh, an interesting one. The law was our guardian in the Greek. It's the paedagogos, and it was a little bit different than maybe guardian. Um, it's a bit more like a nanny almost is what the word was. And it was in, in wealthy families in Greek society, uh, you would often have a servant or often a slave and they were in charge of your kids and to the point where they would actually educate your kids and they would discipline your kids and they would really raise your kids for you if you were in a family that had some money. And so that piedagogos would be a, a crucial figure in the child's life. They would be like second parents. They would have all the authority of the parents and they would discipline the child like a parent would and teach the child like a parent would and encourage a child like a parent would. And so Paul gives that word picture to say that's what the law was like. The law was the authority authority, but temporarily. Because if you remember when you were a kid or if you have kids yourself, you know that sometimes you're not there and so you get a babysitter, right? And when you're gone, the babysitter's in charge. 
The babysitter has your authority. But when you come home, the babysitter's authority is gone, right? You're not struggling for power in that moment. Who's going to tell the kids what to do? Uh, The babysitter departs at that point. So when we would have a babysitter look after our kids when they were younger, um, you might remember this, parents, is you would make up a list of rules, right? Wouldn't call it that probably. They're instructions or whatever you want to call it. But the parents would say, here's a list of things for while we're gone. So while we're gone, here's a list. And so bedtime is this time, and they need to have a bath, and here's what you can have for dinner, and here's what they can watch on TV. And so there are ways that we are are making sure that even though we're not going to be there physically, that our will is being enforced at home. And so you make a list of rules, you make a list of instructions, and you give that to the babysitter. And so while you're gone the rules are really in charge, right? And it's through a mediator, through the babysitter, but the rules are the final authority. And so the picture Paul's using here is that as I handed those rules to my parents or my in-laws, who often just ignored them anyway, um, as we pass those over and where the rules were in charge for a time, when I come home with Sarah from our date, The kids are not constantly now going, okay, well, what do mom and dad want? Let's check the rules. Let's check the rules. Let's check the rules. They don't need to do that anymore because mom and dad are there. Mom and dad are home. And it doesn't mean there are no rules. It just means that they're going to relate to us person to person and no longer through a babysitter, no longer through a list of rules. And so the list of rules goes away when mom and dad come home. Paul's point is now that Jesus is here, it's like dad's come home. Now you can know God personally. You don't have to relate to him through a list. You can relate to him as a person relating to their father. That's good news. And so as the the seasons have shifted, the law was crucial. It was holy. It was important. It was temporary. It was temporarily in charge. Now that Jesus has come, it is not in charge anymore. And so as we continue through verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we have a baptism service coming up in a few weeks. Just a reminder, today is the deadline to get your applications in. Uh, It's a step that every follower of Jesus needs to take in their life. Uh, We don't have a lot of rules and rituals in our particular stream of the church. The two that we hold to are the Lord's Supper, communion, which we'll celebrate next week, and water baptism. Those are the two things specifically that Jesus told us to do. They are symbolic ceremonies that demonstrate what God is doing in our lives. And so in baptism, he says, and it's one of my favorite pictures of baptism. It's one of the reasons why I like dunking all the way under. Uh, Some places do the sprinkling, and, and that's fine. But when you dunk all the way under, it's this beautiful picture of what he just talked about that as you're baptized with Christ you are clothed with Christ there's a moment under the water where you are completely covered and surrounded every part of you is covered with water and as that happens uh, there's this this, picture of how close Jesus is to us to anybody who would call upon his name so you are baptized into Christ and then again Paul talking about this uh, blended family that we are all baptized into one family And whereas God in the Old Testament primarily has related to the Jewish people, now God is inviting everybody in the world 
to come and be a part of this family. And he is loving his children the same. Even if you are on the outside adopted in, or whether you're one of his natural-born kids, like a good, good father, he is loving you exactly the same. You are invited to come and sit at the table. And there's three examples he gives here that in Jesus, there is no Jew or Gentile anymore. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. In sin, we throw up walls with other people. There's an us versus them thing that happens. And whether that's on the basis of race or nationality, whether it's the gender struggles, whether it is the... Uh, the class struggles of, of rich and poor and slave and free, whatever the case may be. He's saying in Jesus, all of those things go away. All of those things disappear. There are no racial divisions. Everybody is one in Jesus. There are no gender wars anymore. Everybody is one in Jesus. There are no haves and have-nots anymore. Everybody is one in Jesus. Those walls come crashing down in him as he brings us all together and creates this new family that we call the church. And what the church is meant to do at its best is demonstrate to the world that there is a God in heaven and as proof of the fact that there's a God in heaven who's working in our lives, we've torn down those divides in the church. We've torn down that racism. We've torn down the class distinctions. We don't look at those things anymore because anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, anyone who's been baptized and is trusting in him is a brother and a sister and not someone from a different race, and not someone from a different gender, and not someone from a different class. You're a brother and a sister to me, first and foremost. That's the work that God is doing. You are part of Abraham's seed, Abraham's family, he says. And so we're not going to remain divided along those ways as we follow after Jesus. We are one family. What I'm saying, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is entitled to the whole estate one day. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father for him to inherit everything. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So he's using the term underage just to mean a previous time in human history. Before Jesus came, we were underage, metaphorically. And so even though there were promises there, it wasn't time for those promises to come yet. Just like if a, a 12-year-old's wealthy father dies, the 12-year-old's too young to jump into everything just yet. And so there is a uh, there was a waiting time and there was a period of, of transition. And in that time, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to death. We were slaves to everything that went through that. Humanity was wrapped up in this season before Jesus came, cut off and separated from God. But moving on to the end of our passage today as we get close here, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship and and gender uh, aside, sonship or daughtership, obviously. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. I love that phrase, uh, when the set time had fully come. In different versions, it will say, when the fullness of time had come. And it's a very kind of pregnant picture, right? I've never been pregnant. I I don't plan to be. But um, for those of you who have been, there's a fullness moment, right? Uh, That's not a weight crack. That's a baby crack. There's just, there's a fullness moment of this time is here, right? The time has arrived. 
God's timing is always perfect. He never makes mistakes. And so there was a season where we were locked up under the law, but then there was a fullness of time. There was a perfect moment that he knew. And in that moment, Jesus comes. And Jesus is literally born through a pregnant woman. He is born just like us from a woman. He is born just like us under the law. But because he is the only one who's perfect under the law, he comes to redeem us from all of the effects of us not living up to the law. He comes and does that perfectly for us. And because he does that, we are welcomed in, we're adopted into God's family. And again, if you've been around church for a while, you know that story already. But our prayer has been, let's just remember how good this really is that we were lost and wandering and in darkness and on our own. And God has not just forgiven our sins. He has welcomed us in as sons and daughters. He's welcomed us back into the family. He's welcomed us to his table with every blessing that goes through that. Typically, in human history, slaves are not adopted as sons and daughters. But our God has adopted us as sons and daughters. And so the Holy Spirit comes by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It sometimes gets translated as daddy. That's not quite right. Um, But it is an Aramaic word for father that just reflects a a special closeness. Daddy is what children say. And adults don't normally call their father's daddy anymore. I don't. Uh, It's been a while. And so Abba is just, it's a term of just particular affection. It's not the same way as just saying father as if I said your father, but I think it's a little like um, I saw when Prince Harry's memoir came out, we learned that he and Prince William call King Charles Pa. Um, That's just their affectionate term for him. And so he's their father, he's their dad, they call him Pa. Um, Abba is a, an affectionate term. And so it's, it's just, again, speaks to the intimacy with God that we are invited to, that we get to call him Abba. We get to call him Father in that intimate way. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to wrap up here. Our last verse today, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And again, the, the good news just keeps getting gooder as it unfolds. The good news just keeps coming. So not only are your sins forgiven, not only is eternal life offered to you, not only are you invited to, to come be with God, and, and not only even are you invited to be called his son or his daughter again, you're his son or his daughter, but because he's the king, you're also an heir then at that point. You are also invited to all the inheritance of everything other than uh, the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which is Jesus's alone. Every other blessing that Jesus inherited is your inheritance as well. Everything that he got, he shares with us. And so when you think about, again, where we've uh, been in this journey, like we have started off as slaves, Right? And, and we put ourselves there by our own actions, by our own choices, by our own selfishness. We have chosen that. Uh, we are slaves and, and we are stuck there and we are powerless to do anything about that. And from that place of slavery, God breaks the chains of slavery. But he doesn't just free us from being a slave. He forgives our sins. And he doesn't just forgive our sins. He offers us eternal life. And he doesn't just offer us eternal life. He offers us a place as a son or daughter of God. And he doesn't just offer us a place as a son or daughter. He offers us a place as an heir of the inheritance. The fullness of the promise that was given to Abraham that is offered to us as well. And as we've been saying throughout this whole series, we do nothing to make it happen. We do nothing to make that happen. 
We do nothing to make that happen. It all comes to us from him as his gift by his grace. All we can do, and and we don't do this either on our own, but all we do is say, I receive it, Lord. I, I want it. I need it. I'll take it. And then from there, and we'll get there in the weeks to come, yes, our good works do matter. And yes, we want to be obedient. And and there is a part that our obedience plays in our spiritual journey and in walking with God and in consequences of our actions and all that stuff. But in terms of the promise given to Abraham, Abraham received the promise by faith. And that's the same promise that comes to us, that, that we are welcomed in that God invites us in. It's just the overflow of his goodness and a faithful God who always keeps his promises and is good always. So we're going to close in a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. It's just, uh, as always, we like to wrap up with worship. It's just always, as we wrap up the word, there's just a a nice way that we want to respond out of what he is showing us and teaching us. So let's worship him because he deserves it this morning. Let's give him a gift today because we are grateful for what he's done.